Johnny McGear here for the Geek Pride cast on this Sunday evening, a different day. We thought we'd throw in something different, and Matt totally didn't forget about it at all, and had the panic within five minutes of Pete going, we're at him waiting. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. <laughs> anyway, so welcome everybody. Uh, with me tonight, we have my co-host, Peter Ray Allison. Good evening, everyone. And I'm just saying, we have been agreeing Sunday. In fact, I reminded you <laughs> yesterday... Don't forget. He did as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm claiming ADHD on that. Uh, and our special guest, Eddie Webb. Hello. <laughs> Eddie, so um, for those who don't know, who are you? What do you do? What's your thing? Um, uh, so uh, my name is Eddie Webb. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. Um, and I have been working in the uh, tabletop and video game industries since 2001. Um, primarily as a freelancer, um, in 2014, I, uh, went full-time freelance. So now this is my job uh, entirely. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much what I do. I've worked on a lot of licensed stuff. <laughs> what you, what you see, you've been working in TTRPGs for over 20 years. Your list, I mean, that is saying that is one thing, your list of games is colossal. I mean, there are games on there that. And I'm an ardent role player. The games I've not even heard of, like the Red Dwarf role play game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, I mean, how did all this come about? Um, uh, well, a combination of interest and accident, which I think is probably most creative careers. Um, uh, like when I, I grew up playing role playing games, uh, particularly in, in the 80s, um, it was something I, I definitely wanted to do I, I knew i wanted to work in, in uh, games like i remember uh very clearly um for uh mother's day one year when i was like seven or eight i actually made a board game for my mom as a present so i mean, i was very early on i wanted to do that um and so i was like you know just lots of making hack games for my friends you know uh, messing with games like uh, Marvel Superheroes and D&D and Cyberpunk 2020 for a lot of times and trying to write new rules for everything. Um, and then uh, around 2001, uh, um, I actually got onto an email list uh, talking about wrestling. Uh, and uh, I ended up talking to uh, a woman named uh, uh, Cynthia Celeste Miller, who turned out she was also working in tabletop role-playing games um and we started talking we got really excited um we bonded over uh, a mutual love of 80s cartoons and then we found out that uh, she was actually working on a role-playing game called cartoon action hour which emulated 80s cartoons um and that's kind of where it started um uh is, is she brought me on board uh, i worked with her a little bit on that um we were very happy uh with that but then from there um i got in touch with other people who reached out to me for for work or i reached out to them for work and it's kind of built built in and snowballed from there um so it was a lot of being just on the line of being annoying with people um uh but also just trying to do the best i could with what i had and uh eventually that that started panning out but it was uh, I often joke that um, I am a overnight success 20 years in the making. 
<laughs> it certainly feels like that. And yeah, you did. So we we had a really good chat when we were at UK Games Expo over. We uh, did, yeah. yeah was, um, you um, had a hand in uh, a Transformers, a Transformers RPG. Was yes. it? Yes. yes. I, I remember that, that very was- specifically because I was like, "Oh my god, I've never heard of this." <laughs> that was honestly my. Uh, well, for a long time, because um, I had a hobby of collecting Transformers fan role-playing games and never quite finding one that I liked. Um, and then I had written two for my own purposes. Uh, um, and again, like I ran a fairly long Transformers game, like 2001, 2002. It was like right early in my career. Um, and I was like, why has there never been an official one like, ever? Uh, and then uh, I've been very vocal about this online. Um, and then luckily it was, it's a very small industry. So it became down to a friend of mine heard from his friends about this through, you know, back channels um, and was like, you really need to get this guy on the project. Uh, and so he hooked me up. I, I uh, wrote out to them and I was like, you know, Hey, here's what I'm interested in. Here's my knowledge. And they're like, um, would you be okay with writing source material for it and i was just like oh my god yes. <laughs> <laughs> like because yeah, I, I got to the point where i was like okay i have some specific questions and after a certain point in time they're like okay um we don't know what you're asking anymore so it's probably fine it's like, cool, yes. <laughs> and i mean there's a lot of law behind transformers when you start digging into it oh yeah because that, that's, that's what i mean I've worked on a lot of licensed products uh, leading up to this, and so I actually had some a lot of questions asked for any kind of licensed product. But in this one in particular, it was a lot of things like which continuity are we going to be in? Um, I assume you want something that's reasonably close to kind of the default AD structure, but are we actually using the original continuity? Is this a, a new one? Um, and then when we started going through that, uh, I was okay. How much can I? Because they want to do a whole new continuity, effectively. Um, it's something that was, that felt like DH continuity, but had a lot of the new updates and featured some of the new characters they introduced and whatnot. Um, and so then I was like, okay, cool. How much can I borrow from other continuities or anything that's you know off the table? Um, and uh, uh, I mean, I joked about it a little bit because like I was asking questions like, what about Japanese exclusive characters? Like we don't know what you're talking about, but. Even then, a lot of team was still very knowledgeable. They're like, okay, let's talk about like uh, Beast Wars. How much of that do we want to incorporate here? It's like, you know, what about uh, um, Gestalt's? You know, uh, where, where do we draw the line on that? Because like, there's there, there's a lot of gimmick characters. You know, um, how deep into this do we want to get? Um, you know, but they were saying things like, um, no, we definitely want to do someone who could play a character like Soundwave, who has lots of mini minions. So like, how do you know? Make sure that's a piece of it and. Um, you know, we want to make sure we can do Grimlock, you know, uh, so that robot dinosaurs are on the table. Um, so, I mean, like they were, the team was all really excited and passionate about it, which was great. Um, but then uh, uh, it was being made simultaneously with G.I. Joe and Power Rangers. Um, and so I was also kind of helping them because we all worked together to build the system. Um, and so uh, and those systems same across all three games. So there was a lot of meetings where I'd say, okay, this needs to work this way for Power Rangers and this way for G.I. Joe. And luckily, I happened to know a little bit about all three of them. So we ended up some really good conversations on that front, too. So I, I also got to work a little, 
kind of at a remove on those two games. Well, I don't list them because it feels weird and that you directly write on them, but you know, they would throw things out like, you know, we need to do uh how do we do putties in this game and say, Oh, I'm not, I understand that reference. You know, let me talk through that. Or, you know, here's how we do equipment in GI Joe versus something in transformers. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was a really cool project. I, I'm, I'm glad I got to be a part of it. Did the kind of, I mean, did licensing ever come into it because you've got so many different it's almost licenses to deal with in terms of Transformers? Was that an issue? Uh, well, luckily I didn't uh, have to directly engage with that. I had uh, yeah. someone at Renegade who kind of navigated like that for me, but I did ask a lot of questions. Um, and then amusingly, I became kind of the default canon guy because uh, we had a um, production assistant who just had a whole bunch of questions. Um, and they were like, okay, what about this? What about this? And finally, like, just ask Eddie. And I was like, okay, cool, great. So we had a long conversation. But um, what I got from the conversations was that basically um, Hasbro has a, a concept they've had for a few years now, what they call, quote, evergreen. Um, and evergreen are kind of vaguely original generation Transformers. So Optimus Prime is a big red truck. Um, Jazz is a car, uh, ratchets and ambulance, what have you. Um, but they're all updated to modern day sensibilities. Um, and uh, when there became a, a question, we ultimately had to land on the side of the then current continuity, which was Cyberverse, um, which was itself an evergreen in, inspired franchise. Um, but we also drew from like the IDW comics, which at the time were still ongoing, um, which I was a huge fan of. In fact, a lot of the arts um, came from the IDW comics pages. Um, and so I think kind of what happened is that Hasbro over time has managed to bring a lot of the um, pieces in-house as they can. Um, and I really think like, for example, I made a joke about the, the Japanese exclusive characters. I think those are primarily just because those are kind of still owned by the, uh, the Japanese toy companies. Um, but even then, like, if they're like, if, if we really need it, let us know. We can work with it. I was like, I, I don't, I'm just being a nerd. Ignore me. I can work just fine with this. Yeah. And um, then the films came out by Michael Bay. Well, yeah, yeah. And like the, we never actually talked about the films, um, <laughs> which is the best way to handle them. Uh, but um, that's one thing I did talk about. I was like, going, how, do we need to reference anything about the live action movies? And they're like, no, we're keeping it pretty firmly to the animated continuities. And I'm like, okay, cool, great. That is the beginning, middle, and end of this conversation. I don't have to have robots that hang like testicles off of a giant robot. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I kind of stopped watching. Oh, I watched the first one, and I did enjoy the first ten minutes, like Scorpion's attack. But that was nicely done. Yeah. But then it just no, just no. I I I I can work up a half-hearted defense of the first film. Um, I watched the second films, and I'm like, oh, this is not only uh, racist, but it's actually offensive on several different levels. Um, so I opted out the second movie. Uh, came back for Bumblebee, which I actually quite liked. Yeah, Bumblebee wasn't um, too bad. And I was, yeah, Bumblebee was pretty good. And then I heard initially, like, Rise of the Beasts was a different team, and, and most team that worked on Bumblebee worked on Rise of the Beasts. Like, oh, I'll go watch it. And, like, a whole bunch of people contacted me. like, do not watch Rise of the Beasts. So I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I got this one. So I watched two and a half of the live-action films. Yeah, it was just, it really is not good. It's really, I mean... 
But like, it should be like almost an instant moneymaker, like giant robots on screen punching each other, but they just mm-hmm. managed to make it absolutely offensive on every level. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I think it ultimately comes down to, to be blunt, no one quite knows how Transformers works. Yeah. Um, everyone has gotten it kind of right and kind of wrong. Um, and it's just different levels of what's right and what's wrong, frankly. Um, but it, it's kind of a hard property to wrap your head around because there are certainly some people who are like, you just want giant space robots punching each other and it's all you need. And there's no human elements. But you do need some kind of, not a viewpoint character, but at least a, a connection to Earth culture to kind of find your way into that narrative. So it can't just be giant space robots punching each other. Um, but the more you try to put it into our Earth, um, the, if you, there's a certain point where it just becomes an implausible concept. You know, the, the, the concepts have to break yeah. down after a point. So you're always kind of weaving back and forth between those two poles. And sometimes they get it really, really right. Sometimes they get it really wrong. Um, and even the IDW comics, which were great, um, ultimately they got good by just saying, okay, we're going to set up, you know, start telling stories after the cyber, the, the Decepticon on about war. And that's just not a, you can't start from that. You have to build up to that and then have the conversation after that. Um, that's not something you kind of just dive. It would be like, I'm going to start a GI Joe comic where Cobra's already defeated. You know, it's like, you can't, it's, it's kind of a non-starter. You have to work your way through that to get there. Um, so, but that's, that's a very rare case of them doing something really interesting with the property, but they had to work to get there. Um, so a lot of times with Transformers, it's just like, I don't know, let's make them animals. Let's see what happens there. Um, you know, and some are, and, and also like there's, uh, I don't personally watch it, but, um, the, uh, oh, I just blanked on the name. There's a kid friendly one that's been going for like six years now. Um, rescue, uh, rescue. Yes. Um, and it's very much aimed for very young kids. Um, it's a very different take on Transformers, and it does fantastically well. Um, so it's just like, why does that work? I don't know. Is it because Peter Cullen did Optimus Prime for a few episodes? Maybe. Maybe that's the reason. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I love the, to ask as well. Like, I was going to say, I love the, the Peter Cullen story about how he came to get the Optimus Prime voice. Um, and uh, he was basically, it's based off his brother. He was a Marine. Mm-hmm. It was based off his brother, who's a Marine. And like, I'll not even quote it because I'll, I'll just destroy it. But you can find on TikTok or on YouTube and stuff like that. But it's basically Peter Cullen explaining how he got the voice and how, you know, his he, he was influenced by his brother's sort of kind of soft, but slightly firm, but fair sort of voice and stuff. And it's just like, yeah, mm-hmm. it was so good. Love it. Love it. Similar, um, David Kay also has a great story about how he got his um, Megatron voice for Beast Wars um, because uh, he was just trying to do kind of, you know, kind of do kind of growly and, and, and you know, scary voice. Um, and then he was just screwing around. One of the lines happened had the word yes in it. And he's kind of hit on that syllable that yes. And the uh, voice director was like, wait, wait, do that again. And they just found reasons to get him to kind of uh, uh, hit, hit, I mean, that became his catchphrase for a while, but also just from there, it's the you have to be as evil as possible, but also slightly absurd. Um, and, and it is like it really came down to him just goofing around and then accidentally finding the voice when he thought, oh, no, this is gonna be the real voice. And it's like, no, actually, that, that's the one we want. 
So it was similar. It's like sometimes you just kind of stumble into these things. Yeah, I mean, um, you're now like a full-time uh, freelance game developer. Mm-hmm. What point did you realize, like, this isn't just like a part-time, like, this is my full-time job. What was that kind of tipping point for you? I really wish I could say that there was some kind of well-thought-out uh, escalation where I finally was able to make a decision to commit full-time. But what really happened was I got fired from my job. <laughs> okay. Um, wow. Okay. I worked uh, from 2007 to 2014 at uh, White Wolf, which merged with CCP. Yeah. Um, and then uh, so for a couple of years, I was working full time uh, at White Wolf with the full playing games. Um, and then there was a strong push. That, you know, everyone needs to be working on uh, the World Darkness MMO they were making. Uh, so eventually I moved over to there, which wasn't. A big deal. I eventually didn't want to work in video games anyway, so it's like, okay, well, that's actually where I want to go, so that's not bad. Um, so I worked on the World Darkness MMO uh, for for a number of years, and then 2014, they're like, nope, we're done. Everyone, everyone go home. We're shutting the whole studio down. Um, uh, so the, I had the, the lovely experience of coming into the office on Monday with my wife on our wedding anniversary to get fired. No. <laughs> And um, the best part is that, like, most of the uh, most of our bosses just had run out of patience. And so they told us all on Friday, even though we weren't supposed to know. Um, so we came in. We were we thought it was hilarious because, like, they're, they're tiptoe around this. And we're just like, we know what's happening. Um, uh, but so after that, um, I got uh, a few kind of short term contracts lined up. Uh, and so like, OK, but I'll use these while I start looking for other video game work. Um, and I lived in Atlanta at the time. Uh, I couldn't find anything in Atlanta. We bought a house. Um, and so I said, well, I'll try, you know, Canada. I'll try California. I'll try New York. I'll try Austin, you know, all areas that have potential work for them. And just nothing was really uh, hitting. It was a combination of um, I wasn't right for the company or they didn't click with me. Um, and so after a few months of that, uh, I was just like, I'll, I had been picking up contracts from uh, uh, all the different contacts I make because I just need to make money until I figure this out. Um, and then I sat back and I realized, oh, actually, I'm pretty much doing a full-time job now. Uh, so can I keep this this rolling? And so I said, like, well, I'll try it for six months. And my, my family was very supportive of it. Um, and, the, the, and I said, okay, we'll drive six months, see how it goes. And then six months came and went. And it's like, actually, I'm still got a pretty steady collection of assignments here. Um, so I was able to do it, but like, I, like, I, I'm not full-time tabletop RPG freelancer. Like, um, oh, actually I have to get back. Um, at this exact moment, that is a lot of my work, uh, but that I had to build up to that over many years. Yeah. Um, so like the, for like most of the time, it's like, I'm doing lots of like consulting work. Um, I, again, I take you to do video game work. Um, uh, I just recently did a, a mentorship program uh, for um, a college here in the UK where I actually mentored a writer because they wanted to write in uh, the video game sphere. And so actually you know, they got paid to mentor them for a while. Um, I've, I've been to, to as a speaker at, at conventions and uh, at colleges and whatnot. Um, so it's like, well, you know, whatever I can get. I mean, I've written for uh, uh, film critic uh, essays. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, it's whatever I think I can work on and I can do. Um, so that's kind of the bigger umbrella of, of, of freelance. 
Um, but I mean, I do keep coming back to to the role playing games, and obviously Onyx Path right now is kind of my, my major client. I do a lot of work with them, um, so I end up doing uh, primarily that. But still, every once in a while, you know, I'll pick up a project from somewhere else, like oh, this is interesting, or I'll learn something from it, or you know, it's it's good money. Um, like uh, just recently, um, it just got released, but uh, Roll Twenty came to me, and they're like. Uh, hey, you know, your your name was put forward to work on uh, a supplement for the Marvel Multiverse game. We're doing a Roll20 specific Marvel uh, uh, venture. Um, and you get you were, thought somebody might be interested in writing it. And I was like, yes, please. Oh, God, yes. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, and, and they were like, uh, you know, we're thinking about doing something with Super Scroll. I don't know if you know anything about that. And me, personally reading Fantastic Four since John Byrne was writing it in the 80s, I'm like, I may know a bit about Super Scroll. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, but so, I, mean, I do occasionally, okay, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do this because I want to work on this property, or I'll do this because I want to work with these people. Um, uh, but uh, it, it's, you know, honestly, it came down, it's, it started because I just needed to get, get a job. Um, and I realized that at that point in time, I had 12 years experience and 12 years of, of networking behind me that I could try to piece something together. So like if I had tried in 2001 or 2002 when I started to do this as full-time freelance, no way. There's absolutely no way I could have done it. It was only from doing it from job to job to job that I slowly built up enough that, okay, I have there's a, a shift. But it, it really, in some ways, being fired was the best thing that happened to me because it pushed me to go that route. And I've now been self-employed for almost nine years now. Um, yeah, that mirrors a lot of my own experience. You know, I mean, I'm a full-time freelancer. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily journalism, uh, cover a lot of cybersecurity and gaming. And it was the company turning me, admitting that, oh, we've cocked up your uh, hours and your holiday allowance. You've been taking too many holidays and you owe us 30 days holiday. Can you please make them up to us, please? Ooh. And I went, no, that was your cook up because you agreed to it. Yeah. And I was like, this, look, look, and here's the emails that I kind of sent off to HR, checking everything, make sure they're all correct. And they're going, okay. And they said, well, we still got to drop your hours, drop your holidays down. I said, okay then, bye. <laughs> and I've been in that time for about seven years. Seven years? Yeah, seven years. I kind of been working in a spare time, like writing, doing like side gigs, hustling. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that point, thinking, Let's give it a go. And like say, six months later, okay, this making things a lot easier. So, ten ten years later, I'm like, why didn't they do this to me earlier? Right. And it's funny. It's like I mean, obviously, um, being a freelancer, uh, it's a very uh, tumultuous career choice. There's a lot of things yeah. you have to take care of. Um, there's a lot of, of of frustrations with it. But I mean, on the flip side. I love the fact that I can fire clients. You know, there's been a couple, not many. I've had I've had really good luck with clients. But there's a couple of clients where it's just like, you know what? I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. Um, and it's I just you know find a, a exit clause and a cool. I'm gonna give you here's one month of work or whatever. But otherwise, I'm out of I'm here. I can do that. Um, or people can come to me with work and I can just go, no, I'm not doing that. Um, the, there was uh, um, one person that won't name any names yeah. um but one person uh, approached me and I, I looked them up on uh, uh twitter and a couple of social media places and their politics were hilariously opposite of mine <laughs> um and i'm just like yeah no i think trans people actually should have rights so i think we're just not going to get together yeah um, you, i find like when you feel like you can choose your clients and yeah. that like a few times when i've approached someone well or they approached me and it's going no 
or mm. like if start dictating terms and conditions like oh you write first verse and we'll decide if we want to buy it like no oh, that's not how no, it no, works no, no. Oh, yeah. oh so that's how, how all our other journalists do it no it's not that, that's <laughs> and so... i just sorry, sorry matt no you carry on pete sorry i interrupted so no i was just like no it's no that's not how it's done and we just basically went no i'm not going to work for you and also it means i can i can adapt my workload to suit what's happening in the family like it's just coming out of the school holidays so when and i'm just kind of learning my workload a bit to look after the kids now that it's starting back to school yeah. um i could start ramping up again so it balances out brilliantly for me and it just solves a lot of problems it's a, yeah, um, and honestly, I mean, it was a big factor in me moving too. It's like, oh, I can just take my clients, even though I yeah. moved from the UK, I guess still work with a lot of American clients right now. I'm still building up my European client base, but I mean, I, you're right. I have to work from anywhere as long as the client's okay with it. Yeah, it's great. That sort of bleeds and segues into two things, actually. So uh, one about your move to the UK, but another one, the the political, you know, obviously basing your clientele on on, on political views. I, I've mm. always, it's always baffled me how people, like, for example, um, I'm, I'm into uh, Warhammer and things like that. And um, mm-hmm. the, when the Black Lives Matter thing was going uh, a few years back, um, they put a statement out and loads of people kicked off and says, oh, you should keep politics out of gaming and stuff like that. It's like, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. It's like, why? And, and, and they're saying, it, it's, 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 wait a minute, basic human rights surely should be right. integral in sort of like in company policy. Like my, I work for solicitors and they've got a lot of sort of like these things ingrained in their, um, in the company, which I'm really, uh, I think is great, but it's like, it's just, it just, it doesn't, it boggles my brain how people think that this sort of thing shouldn't be involved and companies shouldn't, shouldn't have any views on them. And it's like, they should have views on them. And, you know, at least you know where you stand then, because if I had, I'm, if I knew a company was racist, homophobic, or or any of those isms and ibics, um, I I wouldn't want to do business with them. And if they had yep. a neutral stance on it, then again, uh, you might as well just uh, support it. Then and again, I wouldn't want to. Uh, I probably wouldn't want to be a part of it. And it's, so when people came out and started, um, you know, going, "This is where we stand." So we did the same thing. This is our stance. People kicked yeah. off, and we had loads of people. Why, why are you saying this? And so because this is this is right and this is what we believe this is the and, right thing to do yeah this is the right yeah. thing to do and yeah it just it, it boggles my brain that people think uh that uh politics uh doesn't sort of come into you know uh companies and how you deal with other people it's it's just weird well and like i mean uh so i uh, consider myself uh, amongst many things uh, a feminist and i'm constantly uh thinking of the the feminist ideology of uh, the political is personal, right? Um, ultimately, uh, politics stems from personal relationships. Uh, so, um, and I think that's ultimately true, but doubly so for a creative industry, right? Like, um, if uh, again, I've had really, really good luck with clients, um, um, and there's been a couple of projects where it's like, okay, this is a short-term thing. Um, they don't have offensive um, politics, but you know, it's like I'm just going to do this job and put the words in and, and move on. Um, uh, but I mean, if I have to go into a company and they say we want to do a horror game, 
and their politics are, are, are very different from mine. It's like, okay, I'm going to have an uphill battle to talk about things like, okay, this is a racist stereotype, and this is why we don't want the game, or this is an ableist stereotype, and it's why we don't want to present that. Um, uh, it, it's just not going to be a good fit. Um, and so being able to say, okay, listen, this is not, I'm just going to proactively kind of not go that route. Um, but also, I mean, on some level, like, I'm a, a tattooed punk, right? Like, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. Um, I mean, I was... Uh, one of those kids who like skateboard or die, you listen to anthrax. Yes. Um, I, yes. I listened to, um, uh, uh, I listened to a weird amount of punk, like in the sense of like, you know, the, the Ramones and Sex Pistols, sure, yeah, but also like the, um, the Dead Milkman, like, you know, those weird kind of that comedy punk <laughs> right. mo- movement of like the late 80s, early 90s. Um, uh, so, like, I know I have a very strong opinion on these things and I can choke it back. If it's not the time to talk about it, right? Like, for example, um, uh, I, you know, being with hearing loss, um, you know, the fact that I have a you know, giant hearing aid stuff in my head, I can't really, you know, distance myself from that. I don't want to. Uh, but also, not every game is going to need to directly address disability. Um, but sometimes I do find I have to talk about it in things that people aren't thinking about. Like I did a, a pirate game and I'm like, cool, we need to talk about disability because the iconic image of a pirate is someone who doesn't have all their limbs. And when you phrase it like that, people go, oh yeah, it's like, yeah, like they're missing an eye, they're missing a hand, they're missing a leg. Those are all disabilities. We need to talk about that. Um, but I also recognize that, you know, if it's not a game that's directly engaging with that, like say a high fantasy game, it's like, okay, as long as we're not doing anything that encourages or reinforces the negative stereotype, we don't need to do like a whole sidebar about disability specifically because this game's not going to really touch on it. Um, let's just kind of avoid the pit holes, but don't necessarily dig deep into them. Um, but, you know, if you're doing a game like, um, just off the top of my head, I, I didn't work on it, but Harlem Unbound, right? Which is about the black experience in the 20s and the Cthulhu yeah. mythos. And people are going, why is this game so political? And it's like, how could you not be? I mean, the, the, the whole point is you're directly addressing the racism of the creator yeah. with the product. <laughs> Lovecraft. <laughs> right. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's not a... Um, um, I, I've grown increasingly intolerant of people who are talking about injecting politics, particularly in established franchises. I love when people go mad about how Doctor Who has gone, you know, is injecting politics into it lately. And I'm just like, have you watched the same show over the past 60 years that I have? Because boy, howdy, it's not like Tom Baker wasn't exactly overthrowing governments every other episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even back watching Sylvester McCoy in the 80s. Oh, God, yeah. I thought... Yeah, that's political. Yeah. And they said at the time, it was always political. They left um, a sign in the when the windows is in no blacks, no diggers. Yeah. And the windows because no, we have to put and Silver's going to we have to put that in. Right, right. So I'm I'm totally with with y'all. It's like going, um, I don't uh there's a lot of my politics that I don't talk about, um, because frankly a lot of it's not anyone's business right um in the sense of there's lots of subtle nuanced things i'm happy to discuss with people if they want to talk about you know specific topics or whatnot um but at the end of the day it's like i don't necessarily constantly broadcast them on social media or whatnot because they're mine and and i don't i don't feel a need to to score points and say look at how liberal i am yeah. or whatever you know i, I don't that, that's not where I'm, how i'm wired um but i i won't 
I won't tolerate bullying in the community. Um, and also, I, I, if you think, hey, Nazis are shitheads and maybe need to be dealt with once in a while, it's a controversial statement. I don't want you as my customer. And that's just a good way to kind of sever that relationship right off the bat. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. There's uh there's it sort of reminds me of uh there's a, the embedding clerks where they're talking about uh, the Death Star and the rebels blowing up the Death Star and how they were yep. all sort of innocent contractors and then the guy comes in he says you know I had a friend he worked I can't know I can't remember their exact quote but he goes in you know he worked for some mafiosos and you know you if you're a contractor you gotta know the uh you gotta know who you're dealing with and stuff so they weren't mm-hmm. really innocent because they knew the inference being that they they obviously knew who they're working for and therefore probably weren't too innocent because they knew they were working for the empire and stuff and that sort of just went through my head it and makes, we were talking it about makes it. A lot of sense. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway so um uk so um how long have you been here when did you move over and, wh- and why um, and why did you move a um, couple of reasons um so i moved over in february like like uh i i landed january 31st but february 1st kind of just slightly easier to track um so i've been here march april may june july august almost seven months now um uh and i did it for a couple reasons one of which is uh i'm a british citizen actually my mom was born in in uh england so i just applied for citizenship um that's a kind of a funny story um so uh my grandfather was in the u.s air force uh, and he was stationed in uh, Britain during right before the Korean War kicked off, um, and he was in medical. Uh, but this was the late forties, um, no, yeah, late forties, early fifties, um, and uh, they were starting to decommission the U.S. Air Force bases here. So um, the hospital that was on the Air Force base was originally loaned to the U.S. by uh, England's and they said hey we'd like our, our land back now because the war's over and they said cool great you know um, here's uh, the, you know the hospital back and they hadn't set up a new hospital for that base so when my mom was born she was born on land that had officially been given back to England so therefore she's born on British soil and so when that uh, we, we looked into this for years I was like I don't I don't think I can, I can get it. it seems like it's a weird edge case so finally I was just like let me just talk to an immigration lawyer and it was a funny experience because I was like, okay, here's my situation. And I showed the paperwork and they're like, I don't know. Let me, let me talk to my colleague. And this for like 20 minutes off the zoom call. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Right. It's like, all right, I, they're going to say, no, it, it's, it's weird. But they, they, they're like, no, actually one of my colleagues, you know, you know, been in here for 30 years, knows the case you're talking about. Um, that, like that example, because apparently it's happened a few times recently, was aware of that and said, yeah, no, you're good to go. And so I just went through the process. So wait a minute. So because it was a, it was an American Air Force base, therefore it's counted as American territory. And because they so even if she had been born in England but in an American Air Force base, she would still be it would still be American soil. Uh, yes. Right. Okay. Right. And interesting. Right. All right. Um, but because legally it had changed back over, yeah. Because because that because that originally that's what we're gonna say no. Because they go, if she's born in Air Force base, and that you know, or the same as born born in an embassy, you would actually born in that country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and I was like, no, 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 here's the edge case. And I'm like, oh, actually, yeah, no, that's fine. That's, that's a British hospital. So you're good. You know, she had a British birth certificate. Um, so, uh, so when we looked into that now, it's partially because, um, my family had wanted to move overseas for several years. Um, uh, uh, I'll just say that, um, 
something happened in November of 2016 that really accelerated our plans <laughs> on that front. Um, uh, and so uh, we spent, again, we, we uh, tried to move to Ireland uh, for a few months in 2017. Uh, didn't work for a variety of reasons, almost entirely due to us. We just, I was the first national move. We made some mistakes. Um, we didn't plan well, uh, and we just couldn't afford it. We had to move back. Um, and so we spent the next five years going, okay, we're going to plan for this next move. We spent five years planning for it, you know, getting uh, uh, the rest of my family getting jobs that they could theoretically move or work remotely. Um, the pandemic weirdly helped us out in that front because yeah, yeah, then yeah. work from home became much more viable. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we just finally, um, when, once I got citizenship, that was kind of the last piece because since I'm a freelancer, that was the harder sell, right? Um, because if my wife lost her job, then, you know, a huge chunk of our family is pretty much out. But if I have citizenship, then I can kind of anchor her down to and whatnot. Um, so uh, that put a lot of pieces in place. And so it became down to because I had this citizenship route, I was able to move to the UK. It's the hour here in London and have been since February. How are you finding it? I mean, like, you know, he said 2016, we've had Brexit vote in 2016. And that went, was a, that was just a stupid decision. And we've had Johnson and Truss and why? We haven't had Trump though, so that's a good thing. <laughs> right. And, and I mean, uh, it's people ask me, because like certain people have been like, you know, um, like, you know, you realize it's not that much better uh, in, in the UK. And it's like, oh, I recognize that there there's a rise um, in conservatism and a lot of things have happened, certainly. But to be perfectly blunt, I lived in Georgia. I, there was a very strong chance if I said, hey, Black people and trans people need some rights. I could be shot. That will not happen here as yeah. much. Um, I'll make it knifed, granted, but <laughs> you know, um, at least my healthcare is free. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, it's a case of to be blunt, not anywhere is good right now. Um, it's kind of happening all over the place, but it's yeah. the okay. We, given the propensity of, of me and my family and how our politics align. There's a very real danger to us and to people we love. Um, and so it's like, this is one way out, you know, uh, this is one way for us to kind of get away from it. But I mean, on the other hand, I mean, the more upside of it is that my mom was born here, you know. I mean, she, the reason why I love Doctor Who, for example, is because I, I grew up in the 80s watching Doctor Who in the US, which is very, very hard to yeah. do. Um, but because she was the kind of person who, like, you know, get tapes for me and books for me because she loved it growing up because, you know, she grew up, you know, around Dalek mania and all that. Um, so, I mean, uh, uh, I, there's always been a, a desire to be here because like, you know, I, I have roots here on some level. Um, and trust me, my spelling was atrocious for most of my childhood because I read a lot of British literature and just couldn't get <laughs> lots of yeas everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I finally get that all out of my head, and I move here and I'm just like, ah, <laughs> go back. Yeah, I'm having to do that as well. I've got a client that wants everything in U.S. spelling. Now, so it's opposite for me. I've just got to use U.K. spelling. Like, oh no, like, so I have to switch the. Um, spell checker to u.s spelling is remove the uk dictionary 
And yeah, it is an absolute headache. So I do sympathise absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I've gone on rants about this, but but Noah Webster fucked us real bad. I have strong <laughs> opinions about Noah, a, a very dead man from three hundred years ago, but he wrecked American English so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got um, gosh, might, might as well steer lean into the politics side of things since we're here already. But uh, we've got fucking we've got Trump being indicted, um, yep. and uh, well, I was. He, despite that, despite he's been arrested again in in Georgia, in Georgia, was it in Georgia that he was yes. arrested? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, weirdly, he's being arrested by the county I used to live in. So that's yeah, yeah. weird in the news lately. It's like we, what, what I find amusing is like how he said, like no surrender, no retreat. Then he surrenders himself to the county office. <laughs> well, he's um, I was looking at some of the uh, the the uh, the polls and stuff, and he's still pretty he's still pretty close for um, popularity and stuff. He's he's up there, and it's just like, and I'm not sure if that's no, sorry. Honestly, uh, no, I was gonna say like um, uh, polls have never been a reliable um, factor of uh, presidential elections, but also certainly 2016 reinforced that to me. Right. Like um, because all, on paper, the polls were like Hillary Swinton's going to win by a landslide. Right. It was it was like, don't even bother showing up. You're just going to lose. And clearly that didn't happen. Um, and uh, I've been reading uh, recently that um, uh, the reliability of polls to election results for presidential races over the past as long as they've been doing polls, which is close to like 70 or 80 years, is like 40 percent prediction rate. Um because polling frequently is done by uh, media groups, not any kind of, of scientific way. Um, so they're just trying to grab people. And, and so they're not doing due diligence. So they're, so they're going to get people in a cluster and they're going to ask them all the same question. Mm-hmm. And those people are generally aligned. Um, like, for example, CNN is particularly bad about this because they're based in Atlanta. Um, and so, like, if they talk to people in Atlanta proper, they're probably going to get a very Democrat-leaning um response and if they go outside of that they're probably need a very a republican leading response um so i mean it just depends on where they ask that question at and um, also so. imagine if they obviously display themselves as cnn a certain demographic of people will approach them more than another demographic of people yeah, exactly um npr polls are going to get a very different rate than like say fox news um so i mean it's uh it's all junk right um i mean i when I was younger, I was very much in the all politicians are evil and whatnot. Um, but certainly the past 10 years have proven like, you know, if you're hemorrhaging blood, you don't question too much what kind of cloth you staunch the wound with at a certain point, you know? So it's like, okay, yeah, I, I could I could opt out and say I'm not going to vote because it's a rigged system. And it's like, okay, but that's not really helping anything. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've, I've had to, as a defense mechanism, I had to you know learn more about politics and when and of course now i'm having to learn it all again now that i move because i'm a citizen i have the right oh, to vote here yeah. well you get I, rec- I was gonna say i recommend listening to the hard talk bbc okay. podcast they're okay. really good it's Stephen sucker and busy he grills politicians both left and right okay that's good actually i appreciate that yeah you, you can't the um the same, similar, you know, in the same year as well, in 2006 with Brexit and stuff, you, everybody thought that it was going to be, it was going to be fine. You know, I even, mm-hmm. I even like thought, you know, yeah, it's going to, we're going to be fine. It's going to be all right. And then, you know, that t- extra 2% kicked in and um, we lost and it was fucking, it was grim. And it, you know, I guess it was our own fault because you... 
complacency. Yeah, and you you underestimated your your sort of the other side. And I think you had a lot of people like you know very being a bit, a bit too outspoken, which may, meant that people who had the different views who maybe they had different views not maybe on the more extreme side of things of brexiteers but just because they had certain issues with europe because of whatever reason and uh they just didn't say anything so if they got polled they would they wouldn't say anything or if they got talked about it they wouldn't say anything so they just got ignored and so you had sort of this underlying mass of people who didn't want to say anything at least they'd be called a racist or or something like that and Unfortunately, that's, you know, it came out and, you yeah, and then we've been gone down the shitters, gone down the shitters since. But um, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. I think I learned a lesson from it in that I was getting quite... Um, not irate, but I was I was I was getting into a lot of arguments with people about it uh, beforehand, and getting very frustrated with them, and maybe being a bit more abrasive um, and confrontational than I should be, than sort of maybe not listening to them and saying, "Look, I I understand where you're coming from, but you have to understand this." Instead of just going, "You're a fucking idiot, you're wrong," right. and then just right. sort of kind of you know go on, well, you're, what, "You're obviously wrong, you're a racist," and trying. So I was like, "Right, I that I did learn a lesson from it." Um, but mm. yeah, yeah, it's just and actually, um, going back to to my job a little bit, um. That's actually something that I've been kind of struggling with on some level for the past six or seven years as well, is that um, the, the, the counter narrative, right? Um, in the sense of there has been this strong tendency of this one piece of media is dodgy. Um, it, you know, it's a little bit racist, a little bit homophobic, whatever. And so therefore the whole thing is invalid. Um, and as someone who likes to occasionally uh, write challenging media that that's been a, a, a tricky thing for me because like you have to present people with horrible viewpoints in order to show the opposite right it's like you, you can't just say racism racism is bad and then you know we i have to show a, a a meaningful viewpoint so that we can confront it so we can yeah. combat it um i mean to 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 simplified somewhat i mean like if you're going to punch nazis those nazis have to be a credible threat before you punch them yeah um if they're just cartoon nazis you might get a brief satisfaction out of it but it doesn't actually actually engage with the topic um uh we is actually uh a few years ago because um the path i pitched uh well I inherited two other people's pitches that I, I synthesized them and, and turned it into a third pitch. So it was kind of a joint effort, but um, a cyberpunk game, because I'm a huge fan of cyberpunk, you know, again, punk 80s. If I didn't read William Gibson as a computer nerd punk, I basically was doing it wrong. Um, and it was like, I really wanted to do cyberpunk. But also, I, I wanted to do more of the literary cyberpunk tradition. That was kind of my contribution to it. It's like, we could do Shadowrun Light or, you know, Cyberpunk Red Light if we wanted to, but I think we could do something in a little more of a literary vein where it's just focusing on the technology. And so the idea we came, in 2019, we came up with first training continuum anima was you have a, uh, an implant in your head that um, allows you to uh, you know, work from anywhere. Basically you have a computer in your head. Um, and so we talked about the, the ramifications of um, the fact that you don't have to go into an office. You can work from home. Um, and this is a brand new city after a devastating war. Um, and so I hired my team and then 
2020 happens and they started writing it and it's just like, oh, now we're writing about working from home after it's scary to go outside because of a devastating problem. And it, I had to work, I had to get my team through some mental frustration. That was a hard yeah. book to get through, right? Mm -hmm. um, but and on top of all that, the one of the conceits was that uh, the government setting up the city you're living in was ultimately a fascist government. Um, but it was early stage fascism. It, it's it's the, the honeymoon period of fascism where like if you keep you here, you'll be safe and everything will be fine. Um, and the writers – we had to talk about that. And it's like going we'll, – we'll put a thing up front saying this is super clear. This is fascism, and you know it's it's we, we support tearing down fascism. We're hoping your players want to tear down this fascist government. But we're going to have to present viewpoints from this fascist government's viewpoint to see why people would find that attractive, right? Um, and so that was a hard – a lot of hard conversations and a lot of hard work to make sure we hit the right balance of we didn't want it to be a paper tiger that you could just easily tear down. We had to show why this is an actual creeping long-term threat. And of course, again, we're talking about this. We're trying to dial it in. We have the manuscript more or less done, um, and we're talking about things like you know. What happens when the government tries to do a military coup? And then, of course, January 6, 2021 happens, and it's just like, okay, this is getting a little frustrating. Could the, could the world please stop doing this while I'm trying to make this game? <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever watch The Money in the High Castle on Amazon? I, I, I should. I have not gotten around to it, but I've heard that's it. That's really – because that obviously displays a fascist government yeah. and how it does it both how they maintain their competency and control despite some horrific things they do i watched right. i watched a couple of episodes of it and for some reason it didn't i never went it's back to slow it burn. yeah it's, slow it's like is it basically well, germany and they won the, the war, war and they they split up america so you've got the yes, japanese in the west yeah. and the yeah okay but they do really well like like this is how you know America is controlled by a fascist as a fascist state, and it is horrific. I mean, one of the most chilling scenes was when you had um, a classroom of primary school children doing um, like doing the Hail Hitler to a picture of Adolf Hitler, and that was just absolutely chilling to yeah. watch. Mm -hmm. Right. Have you ever, on a random note, but sort of kind of slightly connected to it, have you ever seen a film, I think it's called Fatherland with Rick Gahar in it? I think it does sound familiar. It's basically, it's basically, it's so, concept, right? yeah, so Germany won the war and therefore the Holocaust was never uh, found out about. So nobody, they, they hid, they basically mm, hid the Holocaust right. and it's all about him finding out about the Holocaust mm. and invent, cause he's a, he works for the police, uh, much of the Gestapo and he's, and he, uh, he, 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 he under, he uncovers it and it's all about mm. him uncovering the Holocaust. It's a really, really good film. Um, but it's just that story when we were talking about, uh, Germany winning the war that popped into my head. So I thought I'd share. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, um, uh, there's a, so it's like on, on a wider level, though, I mean, like, there's this. I, I like lots of, of older media, like you know. Um, I mean, earlier I mentioned classic Doctor Who. Um, um, there's some parts of that that's not aged well, you know. For example, um, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, I, I old British television. I, I'm watching uh, Babylon Five right now, you know, um, which is, you know, boy, if you want a show about uh, election fraud and xenophobia and uh, people in a populist movement uprising and trying to overthrow government, gee, that's fucking poignant. Um, 
but uh, you know, all these these things have problems, and, and I've seen people unironically say, "Oh, well, there's this one thing, and it's so I can't watch it because it's horrible." And I'm like, "Okay, if you can't watch it, that's fine. I'm not taking that away from you." Um, and if if you find it too uncomfortable, don't watch media that you don't want to watch. You know, that, that we have way too much of it. You know, this, this life's too short. Um, but then say nobody should watch it. That's where I personally get a little frustrated because I, I do believe that by erasing problematic media, we're just reiterating the problem. It's like we have to see these it's an echo chamber them. Yeah, I, I have a I have a thing that I do, and I, I learned this from – I did a history degree, a military history degree. And oh, we, were, okay. we were always told that there's always another side to the coin. So, And we were taught when we, do, we did things like you have a viewpoint on something, but you should always understand what the other viewpoint is, even if you disagree with it, because you will have a more balanced view on history and therefore make a more balanced uh, output whenever you write your, your, your pieces. And um, I – have, I make a a, a um, conscious effort. You'll see on my Facebook friends and stuff. I have people who I fundamentally disagree with on a lot of things, but mm-hmm. I don't get rid of them and I engage with them because I would rather be slightly uncomfortable with what they're saying, but understand what other people are saying about things so I understand where that is than um, just having an echo chamber that just agrees with everything I say because that doesn't help the situation because those people, and you, like within Brexit and stuff, those people are still there. It's just like I'm just hiding them. So I've got lots of people who they will get rid of people or they'll get they'll get rid of books or they won't read certain things or they won't do certain things because it it, it, it triggers them or whatever. And that's fine. That's up to them. But me personally, I like the... It's not like I feel like I need to do the uncomfortable thing, especially like history. I'm a massive um, history fan. I love my history. And I read a lot of books that are contrary to the stuff that I was brought up being taught. Um, like there's some books called Waterloo, the German victory. And it's basically about how that the, most of the, the allied forces in the, the, the army, uh, the allied army during Waterloo were German, um, you know, and the British mm. were basically a, you know, effectively a third, if you include the Prussians and stuff, there wasn't, you know, it was a British general, obviously, but it was the German. So it's all about the Germans Ooh, were the main uh-huh. part of the, the thing. So there's these things like what people don't want to understand these things. You get this a lot with nationalistic um, and very patriotic views that they refuse to accept uncomfortable truths because it goes against the narrative of what they've been brought up with. And I right. personally think you should always read the uncomfortable stuff and you don't have to agree with it but at least you know it's there and you see the other viewpoints so when somebody does start arguing about it you don't can't go yeah well you're a stupid head and i don't believe you you can kind of go yes i understand that point but and then you can argue a counterpoint and you can be a bit more rational and re- reasonable with your view um than right. just kind of being upset and kind of go no i don't like you i don't you know you're wrong and it's just like yeah, so that's my view, and I, I, I try to have that as my sort of thing. I will engage with people I don't, I disagree with. I will read books I don't fully agree with or uh, go against what I've been brought up with just because I feel like it gives me a bit more balance in life. Uh, sure, but I mean, like, e- even like just, just for entertainment stuff, right? Like, it's the um, – something can be brilliant and still problematic from a modern perspective. Um, and you, I, I feel like you, if, if, if something has problematic elements from an art perspective, mm-hmm. perspective, um, 
And let's assume it's unintentional, right? Like it's just it's aged badly, um, not like it's intentionally provocative. Um, there are lots of people who are like, okay, well, that should not be shown on TV or that shouldn't be streamed or, or whatever. Um, and and I, I find that frustrating. A good example, actually, um, there was a very early episode of Next Generation, like episode four of Next Generation, um, which was horribly racist. Uh, because the basic premise is there was a planet all full of black people that came in to try to steal the women of, of the Enterprise and turn them into their slaves. It's bad. There's just no way around it. It's, I'm trying it's to think of that. Epi- I'm trying to think of that episode now. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not a not a good episode either. Okay. It's not exactly. It was it was early in. TNG. So well, there, there was this, really did, do you remember the Space Irish one? <laughs> oh, I do. Yeah, there's lots of, yeah. The Space uh, Irish. <laughs> and, and then Voyager's like, we should do that even more. I'm like, no, stop Voyager. Um, but uh, I mean, it's, uh, but like uh, Jonathan Frakes recently has been saying things like, I-, I wish they would never stream that episode. And it's like, I understand his instinct is like, I'm in that episode. Yeah. I don't want to be seen in that episode because I really don't like what that says. I, I get the instinct of there, but I really feel like that's the kind of thing you put a, a warning in front of it saying, you know, these values are no longer ours. Yeah. So you, but I you have recently, to watch that to show, yeah. hey, th- this is how we've changed. I recently watched um, some episodes of Airwolf. Oh, wow. Wow, wow. wow. Yeah, the that's old TV school. Again, the concept is brilliant. Yeah. Then you start watching it and oh my god, the politics are horrendous. Like mm-hmm. it's really I didn't I didn't realize at the time because I get, I was, you know, in single figures then. But no, yeah, it's incredibly right wing, nationalistic, and mm-hmm. then like you know, you should shoot Americans, they're the wrong Americans and like Okay, I don't right. remember that as a kid, <laughs> but yeah, but I still look back at it as fondly. It's like, yeah, that was a great show about a flying, you know, super helicopter. And then you start, but then I put it now as an adult, I'm going, no. So, would you? I, and I mean, like, I mean, I said earlier, I'm a huge Transformers fan, I love Transformers. Yeah, um. I, most people, unlike me, probably have not watched the original cartoon in a very long time and have forgotten that there are two episodes, not one, but two episodes that feature the country of Carbamia, um, which is very obviously a Middle Eastern com- country and is as bad as it sounds. Um, in fact, it was so bad that Casey Kasem quit the show over it because it was so offensive. Oh, wow. Wow. And it's like, why is this show about giant alien robots have horrible racist stereotypes? But it, it, you, you think of BGI Joe, though, it's sub at landmine. Yeah. No, it's Transformers that did that. Oh. I was like, wow. So, I mean, it's. Yeah. And, and so, like, I could still watch that cartoon and go, okay, cool. I'm just going to skip those episodes because, again, they're not very good to be going to skip over them. But that, that, like, this whole cartoon should not be shown now. And then there's this, there's a. A reactionary component that, as as an artist, I find sometimes a little disturbing. Um, I'm not in the camp of nothing should be censored. Obviously, there are certain things that should absolutely be censored. Um, there are certain things that that you know just shouldn't be for public consumption. Um, but that doesn't mean they should not exist. It just means that you know maybe they don't belong in in just like you wouldn't put a snuff film on BBC, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. certain things like, if you want to find it, you can find it. it, it it's there if you really want H-rate, to find Edge ratings are there for a reason. Right, exactly. Um, but that allows you to make a choice about what media you want to consume. Um, eradicating it, like, I mean, I, I, I feel like we should, we should be aware to it. And so when, as an artist, if I want to do something that, that provokes people, I, I feel like I need to have that tool in the box. And again, like, I feel like I'm a person that I'm, on the one hand, 
um, I, I try very hard to be respectful and, and understanding and, and get multiple viewpoints in and work with, with a diversity of people. On the other hand, I recognize I'm a middle-aged white guy. I'm going to screw it up. Um, yeah. And uh, so I don't want to be in a place where it's like, okay, I can't do anything controversial because I, I can't even get started, right? Um, I, I can't – people won't engage in my work and say, okay, I can ignore this bit or this bit's a bit rough. Um, or, and maybe I could talk to Eddie and get them to update it in the new edition. Um, it's you nope. Know, that this one paragraph is horrible, so the whole book needs to be shut down, taken off, drive through RPG, can't look at it. Um, that that's the reaction that I'm in. I'm a little nervous about. Yeah. yeah. Do you, would you when it comes to because there's a lot there's been a, a lot recently where, for example, uh, Community they um, they have taken out the episode where um, oh god, what's his name? The comedian. Oh. Um... Uh, uh, the, the the Spanish teacher, he, was, yeah, yeah, uh, he yeah. dressed up a drow. Yeah, he, he dressed up the drow, so they've taken it out because it's effectively blackface and stuff. And what are your views? Is it one of those things that's just like, yeah, maybe it was a bit on, you know, they didn't think about it properly. Um, that episode's an interesting choice because um, I actually watched it right before the controversy happens. Yeah. I thought it was hysterical because the whole point of the episode, if you actually watch it, is all the people on the table going, no. Don't do that, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, the point is not that the show's going, hey, this is a great idea. The show's going, no, he's such an idiot. He doesn't recognize what he looks like. Everyone on the table being deeply uncomfortable with it. That's exactly the kind of thing that people should be watching. Like, yeah. This is why blackface is bad and saying it's a drow is not an acceptable defense. That's what the whole episode's saying. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. to say we can't show that, it's like that's the exact opposite you want. You want people to watch the episode and go, okay, if you don't understand why draw is a problem watch this episode yeah 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 absolutely yeah i mean i mean you, you mentioned double and five earlier <laughs> oh of course Pete. i have to i've literally just watched the road home that animated film that just got oh released. i haven't seen it yet is it good really good okay. i mean i'm a massive fan of Babylon five i watched it back first back in the 90s i mean i remember coming driving to university one day and like i've got to get back i've got to get back i've got to get there in time to watch the episode Nice. And yeah, and for me as a fan, it's kind of dotted a lot of eyes across a lot of T's, and it ends on such a brilliant line, which is like, Babylon 5 is back and is here to stay. Mm. Which, if you know the history of Babylon 5, and that apparently there's an executive in Warner that did not like it and recently left, and mm. now they kind of want to got the film out, and now they're kind of doing this massive reboot of the entire yeah. story with GMS coming back to it. The ending on that line was an absolute fist bumping moment. But yeah, I mean, as a fan, yeah, watch it. I mean, where are you up to in it? <laughs> what, what? Where are you up to in Babylon 5? Um, so I'm in a weird place because uh, I, I'm, I'm most of the way through season one. Um, yeah. But uh, prior to that, um, I had been watching a fan edit of it um, because the, the fan edit can see, it turned it into 22 movies. And the idea was it cuts out all the filler. Um, and so I started watching it and I was like, this is not as good as I remember it being, you know, this is supposed to be like the, the pacier version of it. So yeah. why am I struggling with this? And I realized that, um, at the expense of plot, it was cutting out all the character stuff. Um, and like, for example, as a spoiler for a 30 year old show that maybe five people watching this haven't seen yet. Um, but like Garibaldi's alcoholism arc is completely gone. And I'm like, why would That's you do it. that? Yeah. <laughs> That leads um, into massive plots in the latest. I mean, instance. I mean, it's referenced. Like, yeah, I'm not, like, he'll, he'll occasionally make a reference to it because it kind of just seemed like they couldn't cut around it entirely. Um, but generally speaking, like him 
falling off the wagon and then going back on the wagon, that whole subplot is gone. It's just he's a recovering alcoholic from day one. Um, and uh, uh, so, like, I, I realized I was like, I want to watch it from the start. So I'm like, I remember plot up to about roughly season three, but I'm restarting at one because um, related, I had just finished Deep Space Nine uh, just because I love Deep Space Nine. And one thing I noticed watching it again is that um, in the 90s, the, the, the frustrations about Deep Space Nine and Babylon 5 was that it's too serialized. Uh, and like you can't watch it in isolation like you can with TNG. And we just watch TV differently now, so I'm like, oh, this is probably aged really well. And I realized that now the opposite is true. Like so much TV is heavily serialized, mm -hmm. and both Babylon 5 early on and Deep Space Nine aren't. Um, and so for a while, I was struggling with Deep Space Nine specifically, and I realized that that's actually the point because both of those shows, one thing they do brilliantly that TV before and after have never figured out is the episodic subplots are how you get to love the characters. If it's yeah. just the serialized plot, then you don't fall in love with, with Garibaldi. You don't fall in love with Ivanova. You know I mean, it's like if you're cutting off all of the, the non-plot stuff, you miss Ivanova's jokey fatalism slowly turning into actual fatalism. Um, and, and there's this, it's a slow change that you need to just spend the time with, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm now back watching the episode, although I'm watching a slightly different uh, order because I'm, I'm apparently um, there's a few episodes early on that were kind of shown out of production order um, yeah. and there's minor spoilers. So I'm, I'm watching a rejiggered order to kind of get those little lined up. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. Um, we are massive fans uh, on this podcast and uh, of The Expanse. Have you, have you watched The Expanse? I've watched like a season and a half of it. Um, uh, funny story, actually. Um, how I got into watching The Expanse was um, Thomas Jane, right? Uh, oh. Because um, I was at a convention... 2016, I want to say. Um, I was invited to a convention in uh, New York, uh, and it was a it was a gaming media convention. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and they said, "Once there's a VIP," and I was like, "Okay, cool, great, no problem." You know, go there um, and uh, you know, go on someone else's dime to go do some panels. Not a big deal. Uh, done it before, and they're like, "You know, since you're a VIP, you know, we're gonna have a special dinner for the VIPs." Like, oh, that's a nice thing. You know, get together and VIPs. What I didn't know is that the media VIPs and the gaming VIPs were all on the same track. So Thomas Jane was there right after his Punisher movie. And uh, I had the amazing experience. We were in the same hotel and everything. So we had dinner together. Um, he's a hilarious guy. Um, and then uh, he's like, I'm going to go back to my room for a while. And okay, cool, whatever. You know, we're going to do other stuff. Um, I also met uh, uh, Denise Crosby, and she's fantastic. Uh, but then um, later on, running to him in the hotel, uh, walked in the halls, and he is baked, just just out of his head. He's like, <laughs> he's like I really want ice cream. And I'm like, all right, we'll see if we can find you some ice cream. And so we spent like 30 minutes wandering the hotel trying to get Thomas Jane ice cream. And so when he, I heard, he's like, he's got work again. It's on the expanse. I have to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> did you not? Uh, you've only done a season and a half. Did it not grab you? Or. Um, 
uh, honestly, it came down to um, I was like something else popped up, and I was like, oh, I'll watch this later. Um, and it's been a year, so I, at some point I will get back. To it. It's um, it's it's honestly for me, it's possibly some of the best sci-fi that's been on TV in in many years. Like, is, I it, th- is it on? Is it on Prime? Here? Yeah, it's on yeah, Prime. Prime. Yeah. Okay. Um, six- One thing I have learned moving to the UK is that everything is on a completely different service than I'm used to, and some things don't stream at all, and other things yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. That's so regionalization. Things a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's like the sixth season. It's they've cut it down, but it has a an okay. The ending isn't sort of completely sort of a, a damp squib. It's 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 it sort yeah, of kind yeah. of explains enough for you to kind of go, okay, I'm, I'm okay with that. But it's so good. Like the whole thing, I loved it. Like they were banging on about it for 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 years when it was go on that I should watch this, and it's like, nah, it was on Sci-Fi. I'm not interested in that B-rated crap. I'm not. I'm not doing. It. And then it was. I was just. I think it was in lockdown, and I was like, it's on Prime now. I've got Prime. I'll give it a go. It was on season five, I think, four at the time, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, cool. and I, four, and I was just like, I'll give it a whirl. I watched one season. I watched four seasons in the space of about a week, I think, and I was just like, this is the best thing I have ever seen in my entire life, and loved it. Absolutely loved it. Just yeah, Honestly, one thing I, I have learned about me, I don't know why, but I don't have the binging gene. Really? Right? Wow. Okay. Um, like I can get obsessed about a lot of things. <clears throat> Don't get me wrong. Um, I mean, I just the, the transformer stuff alone. If you make it super clear, I mean, I have entire, <laughs> my, my, my all my tattoos are Sherlock Holmes themed. I mean, I've got oh, nice. Yeah, look, two two one B and oh, and that. I mean, so so like I I I I get obsession. Um, but when I am obsessed with something, I don't just like sit down and you know back to back. What I do is like I I. I over months, I like I said, I watched seven seasons of Deep Space Nine, but I did it over a course of six months. Yeah. Um, so, like, I find that after uh, uh, reading like a book for a few hours or watching TV for a few hours, I, I just have to stop for, take a break. And yeah. I'll maybe start the next day. Um, but so sometimes it does mean, like, if I'm in the middle of watching a show like, like The Expanse, if something else takes my attention away, then I may just not get back to it for a while. Yeah. Uh, I usually go back and, and finish up. Sounds very healthy um, to me. I, um, <laughs> I will literally just watch something until I cannot. My I, I will watch them until I'm about to fall asleep and then I have to go box that last episode. But I will do that the next day and carry on until it's over. And the same with good books. Like I, when Game of Thrones, so basically when Game of Thrones came out, um, my sister's like, have you heard of these books, the Game of Thrones books and us, Song of Ice and Fire books? And I was like, uh, vaguely, but I, I, I've not read them. He says, well, they're they're creating the series and because in Northern Ireland, they, they film some of it basically where my parents live and stuff, in oh, and around, nice. basically in and around like um, a, load of, a load of my friends were extras and stuff. But anyway, my sister was an extra. Um, but you have, um, she's like, this is happening and I'm going to do an extra thing on it. And I was like, all right, I'll give the books a whirl. I'm a massive Lord of the Rings fan, but you know, we'll see what these are all about. And I got, it was just as Dance of Dragons came out. So the fifth book, and I, within three weeks, I had one week before I went on holiday and two weeks on holiday, and I read four and a half books. The only reason I I read four and a half of them was because at the end of the fifth book, when Jon Snow, <laughs> I, I, I was getting so fed up with people I like getting killed that as, yeah. as soon as Jon Snow got his neck cut at the end, I was just like, I'm done with this fucking series. I don't want to do it. And I did a Joey. I did a Joey. I was like, I'm going to, I would put it, if I could have put it in the freezer, I would have. But it's like, I, I literally I was like, I am done with this fucking book. And I put it down and it took me 
three months to finish the last few chapters at the end to sort of kind of deal with it and stuff. I was like, I have to go back after the trauma of it all. I was like, right, fine. And then I've been waiting, what, it was 2012, 2013 that came out. So I've been working, what, nearly 10 years now for the uh, the, the next one to come out. It's not coming out, Matt. <sighs> Except defeat. Yeah, just... Anyway, like, uh, it's been good enough about nearly an hour and a half and it's way past your bedtime um i want to do one thing before we go right so first yeah. is there anything you've got this uh on your website you've got realms of uh pugmire uh what's that yes. all about um that is actually my creator owns uh world um so uh realms of pugmire the, the short version is um it's set far in the future of our world. Um, humanity's gone somewhere. Uh, maybe they've died. Maybe they've gone into space, turned into alien brain clouds. Who knows? Uh, but um, they have left dogs and cats and other animals behind uplifted. Um, and the dogs and cats don't really know that it's not a fantasy world. Um, so it's kind of Lord of the Rings meets Planet of the Apes, but with dogs. Right, basically. okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, we just kickstarted our second edition back in oh. January. Um, uh, uh, so uh, that was during a fun time to try to do an OGL based game in January of this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, we'll not go into the um, OGL because we'll be on for another is, hour and a half. <laughs> it is no longer an OGL based game. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, I, I've made enough decisions to to distance myself from that. Um, but uh, uh, it. I mean, I, that, this is the second edition of it. I mean, it's been around since 2015. I've also got like a, um, a Choose Your Own Adventure uh, digital app novel out. Um, I did an interactive audio drama with it. Um, some books of fiction, including um, the original anthology fiction. Uh, that actually has a number of old uh, TSR alumni um, who got to work on it. Um, and we did, there's a, there's there a companion game in the first edition for cats um that's all being kind of folded into the new edition of the game uh so yeah if you think uh a dog swing a battle axe is cool or if you're just into um fantasy games that are pretending to be science fiction games um or vice versa uh yeah go check out realmsofpugmire.com awesome um okay so one last thing before we go so um we do this uh whatever we have a bit of a sort of 20 questions pop quiz we've uh-huh. you choose a so we'll all choose a franchise and then the others have to guess a character that we have in our mind for that franchise and because you're into your transformers i feel like right. i need to do transformers for you and stuff so what i'm gonna do is transformers i'm gonna think of a character you've got 60 seconds to ask me questions to figure out who that character is okay, okay. yeah so um i will i'll get my little stopwatch on uh this might be well easy for you because i get the impression you're like a super transformers nerd so it's uh probably not gonna last we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so uh for a minute uh stopwatch. right okay so um so it's literally i'll just say transformer 60 seconds and then you can ask me questions uh, and then i'll say yes or no or whatever and then uh okay. at the end of the 60 seconds you can ask one more question and then you have to guess um okay. so uh transformers 60 seconds go are you an autobot i am not an autobot are you uh, were you with the original cartoon i am in the original cartoon i am a decepticon okay um can you, you fly die in the movie so he is in the movie. Okay. Can you um, fly? Uh, most of them can fly oh, in yeah, some way, shape, or form, yeah. Um, uh, are you a plane? I am not a plane. Okay. Um, are you purple? I am purple. 
Um, do you have one eye? Yes. Are you shockwave? I am shockwave. <laughs> 36 <laughs> seconds. Oh, no. Oh, very good. Yes, you are. That was very good. That was straight to it. I was like, there's so many of them. It's going to be, you know, oh, well, there we go. <laughs> I was kind of going, no, do you, did I go to one of the wikis? I don't know if I kind of go for one of the, you know, Dan or, uh, I what was the little boy? What was the little boy called? Um, there was oh, uh, Spike. No, Spike. Spike, no, there was Spike, and then Daniel. Daniel was the little boy. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. That's what I've done, yeah. Yeah, okay. No, like, like, I mean, I mean, to be fair, like, I had just finished up watching the uh, some of the Japanese-exclusive uh, uh, TV shows that were that came up after the original series ended. Um, so, like, you get the fun stuff, like, um, Blaster dies, and it comes back as a different colored Blaster, but he's a completely different character. Um, he's blue now, and so he's Blastoid, I think. Oh, Blastoid, right. Like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and so it's like, it's just nonsense, or like the the guy who looks exactly like Optimus Prime, but is actually a, a Japanese truck driver. I was going to go for, I was going to go for Metroplex at one point. I was like, yeah, I go for that. As soon as you went on, you were talking about Transformers. I, like, I cannot wait to the end. I'm like, I'm either going to go for Metroplex or I'm going to go for Shockwave or maybe one of the sort of kind of uh, like slag or something from the Dinobots. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Pete, what have you got for us? Uh, Red Dwarf. Because you okay. did that role playing game, so I thought, yeah, okay, sure. let's test your knowledge. Red oh, Dwarf. Okay, Red Dwarf, 60 seconds, go. Uh, they wanted the crew. No. Are they an alien? Technically, yes. Uh, okay. okay. Um, um, are they dead? Are they dead? Are they dead? Are they no. dead? Okay. Nope, not dead. Are they a hologram? No. Um, are they, are they a recurring character? Yes. Uh -huh. Are they uh of are are they feline genetics? Yeah, they do have feline genetics. Is it cats? Not cats. No, Ooh. they're the crew. Um. Oh 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 oh. Uh, um, Are are you from a parallel universe? Yes. Uh, are, you, are, are you dog? <laughs> no. Are you Dwayne oh. Dibley? Are you Dwayne Dibley? Yes, you are. <laughs> I'm okay. Dwayne Dibley. <laughs> Dwayne Dibley. <laughs> yeah. Hence why I said technically alien. Uh, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, right. That. Dwayne Dibley. Okay. Still technically part of the crew. Technically, because no, no, because it's when Dibley gets when they when they cat when they suck out what's the um that sucks out their personality and stuff. He's still cat. He's just taken out his cool, so he is still. But then, but then he, he appears later as well. I know, so but I, he, have, to, but I then, have to do one for you guys too. Now, yeah, or? you have to do one for us. Please don't make it yeah. too obscure. <laughs> I, I was I was Five actually. Oh, oh, I have I know okay. nothing about Babylon Five, so this will be all Pete. Okay, so um uh Babylon Five, sixty seconds, go. Are you human? Yes. Are you Air Force? No. Okay, are you a telepath? No. Okay. Ooh. Are you part of the station crew? No. Okay, are you on Babylon 5? Sometimes. Okay. Are you in the first season? Yes. Do you fly a ship? No. Okay. 
This, wow, okay. Are you a recurring character? Yes, I'm a recurring character. Are you one of the one of the cast, as in the primary cast of the series? No. Okay. I, I do not, I'm not in the initial title sequence. Okay, yeah. Are you um, male? Yes. So male, not a force. Okay. 60 seconds is up. One more question, then you have to guess. Okay. Are you Senator Hidoshi? No. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Pete. Are, are, you, are you a politician? No. No more oh. questions. You've got. That's it. You've got to guess now. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I know. I have no idea. Morden. <laughs> you call yourself a Babylon Five fan, Pete. <laughs> Take those Babylon. He's a great character. He's not a politician. He's not part of the crew. He's not Earth Force. Yeah. He's human. Oh. Oh, just get out, Again. Of, get out of town, Pete. I'm going to stand in my... Yeah, but I, I'm, <laughs> you might as well just... Well, you're not allowed to talk about it ever again because <laughs> you obviously aren't a fan, you know? <laughs> you just got schooled, bro. Absolutely. <laughs> very well played. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's been very enjoyable. Um, Thank you very much uh, for your time, Eddie. It's really thank appreciated. Um, Good luck with everything. Uh, Good luck... Uh, with uh, realms of uh, Pugmire and um, if you have anything else that you want to share with us in the future please do come back uh, and let us know and we'll have a more of a chat um, so for tonight I've been Matt Gary with me has been Peter Allison good night everyone and our special guest Eddie Webb bye, bye.